Thank you to those who've been praying. Um, I'm, I'm doing all right this morning, um, but Saturday I was feeling quite unwell, and I texted a couple of people just to say, hey, can you pray for me? Uh, quite a remarkable turnaround from, from Saturday morning, and I just have really felt this sense of, you know, I've got this word on my heart for us this morning, and it felt like one of those moments to battle through, you know, and to uh, not allow anything to get in the way of the, the things that God wants to bring to us and the things that he calls us to do. So I'm really thankful for those prayers. I'm really thankful to be uh, feeling a lot, lot better today. So thank you. Um, I want to I jump in this morning, continuing our series that we have been rooting in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we have called This Is You. And I want to begin by casting our minds back, if you were with us uh, back October time last year, where we began talking about what it looks like for us to bring to God the kind of worship that is fit for a king. And at that time, we were acknowledging that God has been leading us into a new chapter And we were drawing inspiration from Noah's story where God led Noah to step into a new chapter two. We we looked at this moment where Noah stepped out of the ark into this brave new world before him. And we noted that the first thing that Noah did in this new chapter was to worship. And if we had read on in the account of Noah, Genesis chapter 9, we would find that the first thing that God did is, as Noah was led to step into this new chapter was that God began to speak to Noah and his family about their commission, about being fruitful and increasing in this brave new world. He began to talk to them about the covenant, renewing his covenant with his people. He began to talk to them about their place in this brand new world. God was enlarging their grasp of their divine calling and identity and purpose. God was essentially reorienting Noah, setting some new compass bearings and saying, hey Noah, listen, this is you. This is you. See, for Noah, this was an important reminder at a really key moment. A moment that was going to demand that Noah grab hold of and grow into his divine identity in a new way. And as Jim brilliantly opened up our series that we called This Is You last week, Jim was highlighting for us that that Peter had felt as he wrote this letter that it was a key moment For him to write to this troubled, scattered church that was facing a ton of persecution, a key moment to write to them, to remind them and to encourage them to grab hold of and to grow into their divine significance. And you know, as we continue to stretch forward, as we've talked about in our motto text In recent times, as we continue to stretch forward in these globally precarious times, I don't think that's an overstatement, as we stretch forward in these globally precarious times, I believe that it matters for you and me 
Just as much as it mattered for Noah, just as much as it mattered for the the troubled, scattered church that we grasp and we grab hold of our divine calling and our divine purpose and our identity, that we grow into that like never before. And as we've begun to focus on Peter's encouragement in 1 Peter chapter 2, we've already read last week, verse 5 in 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter writes this. He says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's saying, guys, listen, God wants to build you up. That's good news, isn't it? God wants to build you up. He wants to make you into a house. Not just any old house, but he wants to make you into a spiritual house. It reminds me of Haggai chapter 2, where where Haggai is talking about a house. And he talks about this house that's going to be filled with glory. In fact, he says this house is going to be more glorious than the previous house. And he's speaking about it, he's speaking prophetically, not just about the the building of a better temple physically on the earth, but speaking forwards to the picture of our bodies becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2, he goes on to say this, and this is our theme verse for the series. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this wonderful light. See, last week Jim did a brilliant job saying, this is you. You are a chosen people. We are a chosen people. We have been chosen by God. Not by merit, Not because of our CV, not because of our qualifications or our experience or our expertise, but we have been chosen in love. We have been chosen by grace and we have been chosen for a reason. And I hope we're already feeling reminded. I hope we're already feeling encouraged of our great divine significance that Jim was talking about last week. But this morning, I want to echo the words of Peter where he says, you are a royal priesthood. So I wonder this morning how you might introduce yourself to somebody. I was tempted to do a little exercise, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I wonder how you would introduce yourself to somebody. Somebody says, hey, tell me about yourself. Hey, who are you? How many of us would... uh, kind of early on in that conversation, throw out the phrase of royal priesthood. It's unusual language, isn't it? See, as I was thinking about these introductions and, uh, you know, there was a a famous introduction that came to mind, probably up there with one of the most well-known ones. Anyone ever seen the film Gladiator? Few of us. In in this film, uh, the gladiator is pressed by the emperor to tell him who he is. And he famously says this, he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north. He says it in a much more manly voice than I'm doing right now, but commander of the armies of the north, 
General of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered, husband, uh, murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and he goes on, so on and so forth. It comes across a lot better in the films. <laughs> but what's he saying? He's saying, this is me. This is me. This is my name. This is my role. These are the titles that I hold. This is the influence that I have. These are my affiliations. These are my relationships. These are my experiences. This is who I am. This is who I am. And isn't it the truth that we can so often end up defining ourselves in such ways? Isn't it true that our identity can so easily become rooted in such places like that? But as Peter's writing to this troubled, scattered church, he says, come on church, you are more than the sum of your accomplishments. Church, you are more than the sum of your associations. You are more than the sum of your affections or your passions even. You are a royal priesthood. See, Peter had revelation. Peter had revelation. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has an introduction type conversation with Peter. He kind of flips it round on his head and says, hey Peter, how would you introduce me? If someone was to ask you, Peter, who I am, who would you say that I am. And you know, Peter doesn't reply, well, well, Jesus, you're the son of Mary. You know, your father is, is Joseph. He doesn't say, hey, you were born in, in Bethlehem, spent time in, in Nazareth. You're the one who was honored by the Magi at your birth. You were hunted by Herod. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even go as far as to say, well, you're the rabbi. You're the teacher. You're a, you're a prophet. You're a miracle worker, a healer as factually accurate as all of those things would be. As factually observable for those who've been around the life of Jesus as they would be. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, Peter's reply, he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That Greek word for Christ there is Christos, which literally means the anointed one. He's saying, Jesus, you are the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. See, Peter identifies Jesus not on what is naturally observable about his life, but he identifies Jesus on the basis of his divine sonship and his heavenly anointing. And immediately Jesus affirms the divine revelation in Peter's answer. We're going to read it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 through to 19. Jesus replied, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this right here, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. There's no one else could have told you about this or observed this about the way I'm living my life. Blessed are you, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. 
And so I tell you that you are Peter. You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now there are so many sermons that we could pull out of this passage. (laughs) I can only really scratch the surface this morning. What a powerful passage. But Jesus says, this revelation right here, this revelation of who I am, this is the rock. This is the rock. This revelation is the rock on which I will build my church. And Peter, your personal revelation revealed to you by my father about who I am, your personal revelation of my divine identity, this is going to inform your identity. Your divine identity. Peter, you're going to become a rock. That's what the name Peter literally means, rock. Peter, you are going to become a rock. You're going to be like a living stone built upon the cornerstone that is Christ, rooted and established in the very divine identity that you have seen and you have called out in me. You're going to be built in that. And like you, Peter, my church is going to be built upon this revelation. My church is going to be built upon this revelation. When they see in me my divine identity, it's going to inform their divine identity. They're going to see in me their divine sonship, their divine anointing too. And I tell you what, when my church grabs hold of that, when my church grabs hold of that, when they grow into that divine identity, it's going to be my joy to give them the keys to the kingdom. Peter, it's going to be my great joy to give you the keys to the kingdom, to give you spiritual authority here on the earth. Wow. See, when Peter writes, you are a royal priesthood, he is speaking into the church the divine identity that he has first seen in Jesus. I love what Matthew Paul observes in his commentary on the Bible, in particular on Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 2. He writes this. He says, first of all, he called them a holy priesthood. Now he calls them, that's verse five, now he calls them a royal priesthood. He's gone from a holy priesthood, verse five, to a royal priesthood in verse nine, to show that they were not only spiritual priests, but also spiritual kings. Like living stones built, built up, Upon the cornerstone of Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God, who is both our great high priest and also our king of kings. God wants to build us up. He wants to build you up. He wants to build build me up. He wants to build us up to be spiritual priests and spiritual kings in his house. To be anointed sons and anointed daughters, co-heirs, With Christ, it's the phrase that scripture often uses. 
And as spiritual priests, our divine calling is to worship, isn't it? It's part of our divine calling. Verse nine, we read it. Peter's already said, listen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession that we may declare the praise of him who called us. That like the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, we would prioritise and consistently practice the kind of worship that's fit for a king. And that in doing so, in making that a mainstay in our life, we would bear witness to one who is far greater than any one of us. As spiritual priests, our divine calling is to represent. Like the Levite's job in the Old Testament, we, are, we have a role to represent God to people and people to God. As spiritual priests, our divine calling is to intercede. The picture we have in the Old Testament is these priests of old, whenever they went into the presence of God, they would wear this breastplate over their chest. And on this breastplate would be engraved, carved, etched into this breastplate, the names of the tribes of Israel. And they would carry this over their heart whenever they went in to the presence of God. And in the same way, God calls us to carry on our hearts, not on a breastplate, but his laws are are inscribed on our hearts now. He calls us to carry the names of his children on our hearts into his presence. Our spiritual priests, our divine calling is to sacrifice, not sacrificing animals, like the priests of old, but Peter alluded to it earlier saying that we bring our lives as a living sacrifice. We bring our thoughts, our ways, our opinions, our preferences. We lay it down at the foot of the cross that our lives might be living sacrifices. So our calling as spiritual priests, but as spiritual kings, our divine calling is to carry heavenly power and authority. Not just to carry the names of the children of God on our hearts into the presence of God, but to carry the power and the authority of God into the presence of his children. Here's a few rapid examples. John chapter 20, verse 23, we read that we are to forgive sins. That's, that's part of our job is to go and forgive sins. And when we forgive sins, they will be forgiven by God, by our Father in heaven. Matthew 17, verse 20, we are the ones who are to speak to mountains. And when we speak to mountains, mountains will be moved by our Father in heaven. Matthew 10, verse 8, we are to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, <coughs> drive out demons. See, Peter is saying to the church, this is you and this is me. You are a royal priesthood. This is God's divine design for your life and for mine. And it's not a new idea. 
It's not a new idea. It's a theme that permeates right throughout Scripture. Uh, If you want to look it up, the Bible Project do a a great series of videos on this theme of royal priesthood and how we can see that at different points through the Bible. I don't have time to go through that this morning. But it's a theme that permeates Scripture right from Genesis where Adam and Eve are ruling and reigning in the Garden of Eden to Revelation where we are ruling and reigning with Christ forever. Romans 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, in Eden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was a war. The war was over their divine identity. Let's remember, God has said of Adam and Eve, you've been made in my image. You have been made in my likeness. What is it that the serpent comes and speaks to Adam and Eve? He says, listen, if you want to be like God, you've got to eat the fruit. If you, if you want to be like God, you've got to eat the fruit. You, you, know, you, you need to eat this fruit and then you will be like God. Then you will know like God knows. It's a challenge to their identity. And what happened was Adam and Eve bought into the lie. They embraced a lesser identity that says, I'm, I'm not quite there. I'm I'm not like God. I need to do something else to become more like God. And they ended up relinquishing their authority. Paul says in that verse we've just read, the great news is there's provision for the problem. I've made provision for the problem, says God, that by grace we are gifted righteousness. That's good news, isn't it? (laughs) By grace, we are gifted righteousness and through Christ, the anointed one, we can reign in life. And we can reign in life because Jesus reigns in life. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning perfectly forever. Because Colossians chapter two tells us in Christ, All, not some, but all the fullness of the deity lives in Christ. And because Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, we read Paul writing, I no longer live, but Christ, in whom all the fullness of the deity lives, he lives in me. He lives in me. See, when we see who Jesus is, when we declare like Peter did who Jesus is on the basis of, our, of his divine identity, he starts telling us, like he told Peter, this is you. This is you, a living stone built on the cornerstone of Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You are an anointed co-heir with Christ. You are spiritual kings and spiritual priests because this is me. 
because this is me, this is who lives in you. Maybe the worship team could come up for us. Are we feeling encouraged yet this morning? Good. Oh, I love the round of applause for Jesus, right? Jesus has done amazing things. So I want to finish briefly this morning touching on the story of Luke 15, which Kat did an amazing job of speaking on at the beginning of our Dwell series uh, a few weeks back. In Luke 15, we find this story of the two sons. Two sons who are really not reigning in life. (laughs) Sometimes we know the story as the prodigal son or the lost son. And I was reflecting on this story after Kat had preached on it and I was thinking, you know what, maybe the problem in this story was not so much that the younger son wanted his inheritance from the father. Maybe it was more of a case that the problem was that he squandered it. In fact, both of them squandered their inheritance, didn't they? One of them squandered it on wild living. And the other one squandered it gathering dust on the shelf in the father's house. Neither of these sons grasped and were stepping into their divine identity. And eventually in the story, we see that it's the younger son who'd squandered his inheritance on wild living that comes to his senses and he realises, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, I'm feeding pigs here, I'm wanting to eat the pig food, I am not reigning in life right now, this is not it. This is not it. And maybe this morning we find ourselves feeling a bit like that. Maybe we feel a little bit like I'm, I'm not reigning in life right now, I'm, I'm no priest, I'm no king, I'm no royal priesthood. Maybe like this, some we find ourselves feeling unqualified, incapable, unworthy. And maybe like that, some we come up with our own solution. We come up with our own solution like him who said, I I think my conclusion needs to be that the best option here, maybe the easiest option here is that I embrace a lesser identity. It's going to be simpler all around here. I don't really need to be a son anyway. If I, just, if I just lay that down, if I just park that, I could just be a servant in my father's house. That'd be a lot easier, be a lot simpler. But listen, isn't this the very same battle from the Garden of Eden? Isn't it the very same battle, the very same war, the very same lie of the serpent from the garden? Because the reality is there is a war over our identity. There's a war over our identity. Because the enemy knows if he can get us to reduce our identity, he can compromise our authority. Do we see that? If we stop seeing ourselves in the image of Christ and we accept and we embrace a lesser identity, the enemy knows that's the key to reducing our authority, to stopping us reigning in life. 
But listen, I want to remind us this morning. I want to remind us to finish of the Father's response in Luke chapter 15. He says, I see you. I see you, son. I see you coming down the road. I've been watching for you. I've been waiting for this moment. And I know you. I know that you're better than this. I know that you were made for so much more than this. And hey, I've got a better solution. If you would just park your solution for a moment, if you would just put that down and stop embracing a lesser identity, I've got a better solution for you. It is called grace. It's called grace. Luke 15, chapter 22. So here's my gift to you. It's a robe, a robe of righteousness that I want to put on your shoulders. Cover all that mess, cover all that shame. And here's my ring, my signet ring, if you like. I want to put it back on your finger. I want to restore your authority, restore you to living like a king and living like a priest in my spiritual house. Because listen, I have known you and I have loved you since before you were born. And I am telling you, if you will listen, this is you.